Our verses start this morning with finally all of you. And so we get a finally this morning. And so he's really summing up kind of everything we've seen for the last few weeks of um, submitting to authorities, submitting to wives and husbands and all of those things that we've seen and the, the theme of unjust suffering. He's kind of summing all of that up together. And he says, all of you, right? In the previous weeks, we've seen specific groups of people. We've seen household slaves. We've seen wives. We've seen husbands. And he kind of talks to these groups specifically. Um, But today, he says, all of you. So nobody is exempt from the sermon this morning. He's talking to all of us. And what he's talking to us about is, how do we love others when we are suffering or even if they have caused our suffering, how do we love them, right? Because one of the things that I was just thinking about this week is when we are suffering, we tend to make it about us, which is fine, right? Because we're going through something hard. But when we do that, what we tend to do is we tend to withdraw and we tend to pull back and we kind of isolate ourselves from what's going on around us because we're hurting and we want to recover and we want to be alone and all of those things. And so um, this is kind of talking about how do we love people in the midst of that and how can we be loved or how can we work through that in a way um, that is beneficial to all of us without going into our shell or isolating ourselves and how can we walk with others through that. Because remember, Peter's writing to a group um, where they live in a culture that is hostile to Christianity. And so Peter's point kind of is, if you're living in the world right now, it's likely you could be suffering at any moment, right? You could be persecuted for your faith right, right now in five minutes, tomorrow, or the next day. And so they always needed to be prepared for going through suffering. And so that's what he's preparing them for. And today he's talking about how do we love people in the midst of that? Because our culture may not be that hostile to Christianity, but we're sort of moving that direction. And so we are encountering suffering in hard times right now, as everybody knows. But how do we, today we're talking about how do we do that? How do we move out? How do we love others? Because really the call from the beginning, right, is to love God and to love people. And so that's what we're looking at, specifically the loving other people part. And so we are in First Peter um, chapter 3, if you want to turn there. Um, and so you can turn there with us. If you're watching at home, the link to the Uversion page is actually in the description of the live stream video, so you can go there. Um, or if you're using the app, everything will be there for you. But we're going to start in verse 8 um, of chapter 3. And it says this, Finally, all of you, be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit, and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are opened to their prayer." But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. And so we're kind of working through, and we're, we're going to talk, first talking about how we can love one another. And we see this in verse 8, right? Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble. And so there's this list of these five things, right, in a row. And there's lots of people who say, well, these are increasing or they're de- decreasing, and this is how they all fit together. But I think the one that, that made the most sense to me is 
um, the theme of love is right in the middle. There's two on each side. And so it says love one another, which is really the word for brotherly love, right, that we know. And so it's really loving people like family, right? That's what he's calling us to do. And I think everything in those characteristics is centered on that one concept. And so we're going to look at the other ones in light of that. But first, what does it look like to love each other like family, right? When family is in trouble, you go help them. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter what their relative is. It doesn't really matter what the situation is. You're going to go help them, right? You spend time together with your family. You look for opportunities to be together, right? No one has to schedule time to be together with their family. Sometimes you do. I get it. If you have older and you're all spread out, sometimes you say, we're all going to meet on this day for Christmas and holidays. But I don't think anybody's like, hey, I want to get together with my brother or my sister. So you pull out your calendar, right? And you treat it like a business meeting. Are you free on Friday? Are you free on Thursday? I can get you in at three o'clock, right? We don't really do that with our family. We expect family just to be in our lives at all the time. And also, it doesn't matter how different you are, right? Or if you disagree, they're still family, right? Family forgives, family accepts, family works together different, even though they're different people, right? Have you ever looked at someone in your family and you just went, how are they a part of our family? They're completely different than everybody else that's here. I wasn't sure about saying this, but if you don't ever say that, then everybody else might be saying that about you, um, just so you know. Um, But we're very different, but we're all together and united by a common purpose as a family, Right? And the same thing is true for the church. Right? We're all united together as a family of believers. And we're united around a common purpose. Right? Without Christ in our lives, the group of people that are assembled as members of this church, I don't think in any other situation would ever be together. Right? This same group. It's Christ that brings us here. We disagree on a lot of different things. We're, some of them are way older than others. Right? It's very different in what we're, all these things. But what brings us together is the church. And so we're looking at these other things of being like-minded and sympathetic and compassionate and humble in view of love. And so the first, next one we see is to be like-minded or harmonious. Right? So we love someone enough to listen to them or to submit to their leadership or to follow them. Right? And what it really means is there's cooperation where there are individual differences. And so it's calling for unity. It's not calling for uniformity. Right? Uniformity means we're all the same. We all act identical. We all believe the same thing, which we do to some degree. We all think the same things. We all act the same way. That's not what it's talking about, right? Because we're all unique. We've all been made differently to serve a different purpose. The Bible all, always talks about the, the church as parts of the body, and we're all different parts. And we all fit together, and we submit to Christ, and we follow him, and he brings unity of mission and purpose to us. Right? Even earlier in the book of Peter, he talks about the believers as living stones being built up into a spiritual house to offer sacrifices acceptable to God. Essentially, we need all the stones of the house to be together so that we can worship. And we need everybody to do their part, to do what God is calling them to do. Right? Because without all the parts of the house, the house is not useful for what it's intended to be used for, whether it's safety or shelter or whatever it is, or protecting you from 106-degree heat. Right? If you're missing your windows right now, it's going to be pretty hot in your house this afternoon. Right? You want windows. You want air conditioning. We need all of those things for the house to function well. 
right? And unity, I think, is crucial for life in suffering, right? Because we need people who are on the same mission, on the same purpose, who are grounded in the gospel to help us through, to say, I'm, we're in this together no matter what happens, right? We don't, shouldn't say things like, well, you did this to yourself and you deserve this, so we're just going to kind of leave you hanging. That's not what we do together as a unified body. And this concept of, of unity is really important, and it's so important that Jesus, in one of his last prayers in John 17, um, he covers a lot of things, but one of the main things he prays for in this prayer is the unity of believers, that they would be united, that they would be one together in John 17. And so next we see to be sympathetic, right? To love someone enough to understand them, right? To take the time to understand them, to identify with them, right? Sharing their feelings, being with them instead of from a distance, right? Instead of saying, well, I hear that they're going through hard times and it must be really hard for them, and you say it like to the person across from you, but nobody ever calls them or says, we're here with you or wants to be with you, or you go visit them or you take them something, right? We need to reach out. We need to go sit with them to be with them, even if you don't say anything, right? To just be there. We all know through hard times, sometimes the best thing is just to have somebody else there with you, to be sympathetic, to understand what they're going through, right? Next is to be compassionate, to love someone enough to care, to care about them. And this, this word for compassionate is actually interesting because as weird as it is, this is actually the word where we get the spleen from, right? From your internal organs. And so it's essentially kind of caring for someone from your guts, right, from the inside, like I feel for them, I want to help them, I want to care for them from a deep place within us. Um, It's helpful to know that in this culture, in this time, right, the seat of the emotions was not the heart like we think, it was actually the guts. And so when they say, love them with all of your guts, they're really meaning love them with all of your heart. And so that's a way for us to kind of interpret that. But it's a deep emotional connection that we go and we care for them, right? And then to be humble, Right? To love someone enough to serve them, to put other, others' interests before your own. Right? And I think there's, there's really two ways that we do that. Um, one is to put the needs of others before your own. Right? I think we understand this as parents and as spouses that sometimes I'm going to have to put the needs of my kids before the needs of myself. They're going to need to eat, they're going to need attention, they're going to make messes, and they're going to need to be cleaned up before anything else. And I think we get this kind of as spouses of living with somebody and saying, sometimes I need to take care of someone else. But I think the concept is also true of fellow church members, right? That same concept is true, that we serve them before we serve ourselves, right? Of saying things like, I want this church member to get what they want before I get what I want, right? Whether it's um, a spot in ministry or singing a certain song or whatever it is that we would let them say, I love them enough to let them have that before I get it. But there's also, I think, humility in putting God's purposes before our own, right? Because it takes some humility to say, I think I know what's right. I think I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to slow down and I'm going to wait and I'm going to check with God first before I do anything, Right? Because so often we think about what we should do and we think, hey, I'm smart enough, I have the idea, I know the concepts, I know what I'm supposed to do, and we just take off on our own. Right? And about three steps in, we trip and we fall and we bust our face. Right? 
but if we would have slowed down and we would have sought the counsel of God and godly people around us, the outcome would have been totally different. And so it takes some humility to say, I don't always have all the right answers, or I need to slow down and seek counsel and to seek God before I do anything, because it is a very different outcome. And so he's talking, right, to every one of us, to every part of us, right, our thoughts, to be like-minded or to be humble. Those are how we think about the world, of how we feel of sympathy and compassion and our actions and how we love others. We are called to love others, but he doesn't just call us to love those who love us or love those who are nice to us, which is what we see next. He also calls us to love our enemies. And this is what we see in verse 9. It says, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. And now when we think of our enemies, we think of people who are out there who are against us, right? Maybe it's a, um, somebody at school, maybe somebody is bullying you or something, and they're their, your enemy, or a coworker or a boss, or just another person in authority. You're like, they're my enemy. They're out to get me. They don't want me to do anything that I want. They're just trying to control my life or do something bad to me. But this, listen to the way this passage explains your enemy. Someone who insults you or does something evil or something bad to you, right? If we take that definition and apply it to those people are my enemies, I think that expands the list dramatically, right? If my list of enemies includes anyone who insulted me ever, all of a sudden people very close to me are included in this category of enemies, right? It could be friends, it could be fellow church members, it could be family members, it could be spouses, it could be kids, it could be parents, right? I think we've all experienced a time when someone really close to us felt like our enemy, like they were against us. And so before you say, when you're listening to this, well, I don't really have enemies, I get along with everybody, right? I don't really need to listen to this. I think if we think about it this way, anybody who's insulted you or hurt your feelings or offended you, is included in this category. I think it helps us to understand how we're supposed to respond to this. And this, these verses actually help us how to love them even in the midst of those difficult situations. And the first way is, right, we don't treat them the same way that they treat us. Don't return insult for insult or pain for pain. Because when someone hurts you, when someone offends you, the reason you return fire is because you want them to feel as bad as they made you feel, right? You're trying to reciprocate and do the same thing to them that they did to you. Now, I know we're at church this morning, so we're all obviously going to say that's not what I'm supposed to do, right? But where, why do we act that way? Why do we react that way? And a couple of things that we've seen along the way um, kind of help us understand this. And one is we react that way because of a lack of trust in the righteous judge. And we kind of talked about that in the last couple of sermons, that Jesus entrusted himself to the righteous judge as our example. He trusted that God was going to make it right, that he could handle the situation. But for us, right, we want justice now. I want justice immediately. I want that person who is against me to, like, fall over and break their leg in the moment that they're insulting me, right? That's what I want, right? But it takes time and trust to trust God and His justice in that moment. 
Or maybe it's an unforgiving heart, right? I don't want to forgive them. They've hurt me too bad. They've done too much that I don't even want to forgive them, right? I can't forgive them. We know it isn't right, but we'll get back to that in a minute, right, of of being forgiving. And I think when we think of responding badly to our enemies or something like that, we usually think of insulting them or yelling back or a loud situation, but I think actually the opposite can also be true. Sometimes we pull back and we disappear and we ignore or we freeze them out and we don't talk to them, right? So it doesn't always have to be loud and insulting to be getting back at your enemies. Sometimes we pull back and we just, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I'm not going to pay any attention to you. I'm not going to respond to any of your calls, any of your text messages, any of that. I don't want anything to do with you right now, right? Those are two different reactions, but I think they're both right? Not the way we should be doing. Both of those reactions bring bitterness and isolation. So what we need to do as believers is to watch our reactions, work on why we react that way, try to understand in the moment, well, probably not in the moment, but maybe the next day to say, why did I react that way? When they said this, why did I react this way? And try to understand what's behind that so that we can work through it and understand what's really going on. Because it says here, instead of insulting or going back at them, to bless them, right? The word here for bless is the same word we get for eulogy, which is, right, when you stand up at someone's memorial service or funeral and you tell people all of the good things that they've done in their life, right? You explain how good they were as a person. And so that's the same thing that is to give them a good word instead of a hurtful word. And this concept of blessing, I think, goes all the way back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, where God says, through you, I'm going to bless the nations, right? So we as believers are a continuation of that, and we are called to bless others and to bless the nations through Christ in us. And so blessing people is our calling that goes all the way back to Genesis and continues all the way to when Christ returns. And so we do that, right, by the opposite of some of the other ones, of trusting that God will work it out, that he is the righteous judge, that he does know what he's doing, that he can handle the situation. And whether that justice comes now or it comes when he returns, there's going to be justice for people for their actions, right? And then an attitude of forgiveness to treat people the way God has treated you. And maybe they don't deserve it. But you didn't deserve God's grace and mercy either. So we're going to come back to that in a minute. I'm going to give you a little bit more. But then he talks about inheriting a blessing, right? He has this phrase about giving a blessing to inherit a blessing. And I'm going to take a little bit of time here because I think it's important. Because I think the question is, does this mean I have to bless others to get blessings from God? Because that's sort of what it sounds like. And so does it mean, bless those who insult you because you were called to live this way, right? Fulfill that calling so that you will inherit a blessing. Or does the verse mean, bless those who insult you because you were called to inherit a blessing? And so does your calling refer to what comes before giving blessings to others or what comes after, which is inheriting a blessing? And you may be asking, why does this matter? Is this really a big deal? Does it make any difference? Because in both cases, we're supposed to bless, and in both cases, we receive an inheritance. Well, I think it's important because one seems to say, right, if you bless others, then you inherit a blessing from God. And the other says, because you are called, 
you inherit a blessing and bless others because of it. I think this is also a picture of the gospel, right? Do I do good things so that God will love me or accept me? Or do I do good things because God has loved me and accepted me already? He has saved me. And so I think this concept itself is actually crucial to understanding conversion, which is how we become Christians. And you might be saying, well, I'm already a Christian. I'm already converted. I'm already in. Why do I need to know this? Well, I think we should always be checking, always be evaluating, always be examining our hearts to make sure that we are truly converted, that we are truly following Jesus. Right? And us understanding what it means to become a Christian and what that looks like also helps us help other people understand that same thing, who maybe don't believe, who are struggling to say, am I really a believer? And so we're going to work through that, this just for a minute um, to help us understand that. Because if our calling is to bless others, then verse 9 teaches this is a condition that we meet in order to obtain our future blessing or our future inheritance means that our future blessing is conditional on what we do, on blessing others. But if our calling in this verse is to inherit the blessing, then the verse doesn't teach this. There's no conditionality in this. It's blessed because you've, been in, you've inherited a blessing. You've been called to do that. So this is not teaching that our future blessing or our inheritance is something we earn by doing good works. Our blessing those who insult us does not earn our blessing from God. We've seen this earlier in this book in Peter, uh, in chapter 1, verse 13. It says, set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? Set your hope on the grace that has been brought to you, something you were given that you didn't deserve, you didn't work for, you didn't earn. And then in verse 5 of chapter 1, he says, you're being guarded by God's power through faith, not works, not blessing people, through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That your blessing will be graciously inherited by those who are born of God, who are born through the gospel, who believe that Christ lived on earth as a man perfectly, and he died on the cross for our sins and was a substitute in our place so that we could have life as we believe and trust in him. That's how you inherit a blessing, right? That's what it's all about. And the evidence of that you are truly born again is that you are able to bless others instead of insulting them, right? He talks about the whole theme for the whole book is having a living hope, right? A hope in what Christ has done. You don't return evil for evil because your greatest hope is that God will not return evil for evil for you. That God will not treat you the way that you deserve, but he will treat you with grace and mercy. Because we're all sinners. We have all fallen short. We all do not live perfectly. So our hope is actually that God treats us with grace and mercy and not the way that we deserve. And so because of that, because we've been treated with grace and mercy, we are called to treat others in the same way and to bless them in this way. And so good works don't bring the inheritance. Our call and life in God brings the inheritance of salvation and eternal life. And so we are called to bless others because God has blessed us, not to earn his favor or anything like that 
but because we have been saved so that we can bless others. Right? But I understand it isn't easy right, to live this way. When somebody's insulting me, my first instinct is not to bless them, is not to say a good word to them, is not to love them or to have compassion or sympathy for them. Right? My first instinct is to go back at them. But wouldn't it be great if there was like some way that somebody could just like snap their fingers and change the way that you reacted? Or to upload it into your programming so that you reacted differently? Well, there sort of is someone who can do that. And so that's our last point, right? Is to right, love each other, love our enemies, and lastly, to love Christ. We see this in this last section, right, of verses 10 through 12. It says, For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. And so this is a quote from Psalm chapter 34, verses 12 through 16. And so Peter is pointing back to this psalm. And so what he's saying is, if you want to live this way, if you want to keep your tongue from lies and evil, if you want to stop hurting other people, if you want to bless others and love them, what do you do? And there's a couple of key phrases in here that I think help us. One is to turn away from evil, right? That's the call. The concept of turning away from evil for us is kind of captured in the word that we use called repent, right? Or repentance, which means to turn in the opposite direction to say, I was believing this, but then I repented and I turned and now I believe in something different. So when we talk about repentance, it's kind of repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin, right? Repentance is turning from sin, and faith is turning to, trusting in, and relying on Christ, right? Repentance is more than just words. It's more than just a confession. It's admitting our sin and then choosing the appropriate gospel response to that. Right? It's not saying, I'm sorry, with no intention of changing. Right? It's saying, please forgive me, and I'll do everything I can to make sure that this never happens again. Right? Because sometimes we just say, I'm sorry, to get it over with, and then we move on, and we have no intention of ever changing. Right? That's not repentance. Repentance means I'm turning around, and I'm going after something else. And we do that by renewing our mind through the Word of God. Yes, it does include confessing our sins and saying we're sorry, even sometimes confessing to others. But it includes prayer and it includes action, right, in the opposite direction. And that's what we see next, right? He calls us to seek peace and pursue it. And when I looked up this, this word pursue this week, I was surprised because I, I look at some words and I think, how was this translated or used in other places? And most of the other way, ways this word is used is the word persecute. Right? It's the word for persecute. And I was like, this, is, this doesn't make sense, right? Pursue seems like a good thing and persecute seems like a bad thing. But I think the concept behind the word is what we're really looking at. Right? If you're persecuting someone, you're going after them. You're not stopping. You're on a mission. You're righting wrongs. You actually believe something enough to say anybody who doesn't believe this, doesn't believe this, deserves my wrath. 
deserves an argument, deserves to be told that they're wrong. Right? Now, I believe in a lot of things. Very few of them am I willing to go after somebody and tell them that they're wrong. Right? That's the kind of pursuit that he's talking about here to say, I believe in Christ so much and I want to serve him so much that I'm going to turn away and I'm going to pursue righteousness. I'm going to pursue peace. I'm going to pursue God with everything that I have. Right? I need to do this. It needs to change. Right? Because we should all believe that we're sinners and we need to continually tell ourselves, right, I need to change. I need to be different. I need to see Christ. We need Jesus. We need to trust in him and rely on him and rely on the gospel on a daily basis. Right? And not just one time, right, to say, I'm sorry and I turn around and now I'm going to do this. But until we get it, until we make it through, until we right that wrong, until we overcome that sin, whether it's lying or being deceitful, whether it's judging others, whether it's gossiping, or whether it's something else, I seek something else. I just don't say I don't want to do that anymore, but you fill it with seeking peace, with seeking God. Of saying, I'm not just sorry for what I did. I know I need to change. And I know that change comes through Christ with a new heart and a new way of life. And it takes effort and it takes struggle and it takes courage and it takes strength to be able to do that. So we seek peace and we pursue it with all that we have after we repent and we turn to Christ. As we kind of bring all of this together, right, I think that the concept, and this is going to sound very familiar to you, is that we can love because Christ has first loved us. Right? He was sympathetic to us. He took the time to understand us. The very fact that he came to earth from heaven showed that he wanted to understand us. He lived among us. He was born as a baby just as we are. He lived his whole life and experienced all the things that we experience so that when we reach out to him, when we seek him, when we pray, we can know that he understands what we're going through because he lived it as a person. He can identify with us. And while he was here, right, he interacted with hurting people, with sick people, with hungry people, with poor people, with outcasts. He entered their world to know them and to understand them and to sit with them. And when he did that, a lot of times he said had compassion on them. Right? He's, this phrase is kind of scattered throughout the Gospels, that he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. That they were wandering around, essentially, with no one to lead them, no one to care for them, no one to protect them, no one to help them live. They were in danger. They just didn't know it. They didn't realize it. And just like us, we were in danger when we were living in our sins before Christ. We just didn't realize it. We didn't understand. We didn't know. But he had compassion on us as well. And then he loved us with humility, Right, of putting the needs of others before his own. And I, don't, I don't know that there's a lot of explanation needed here. Right, He put us before him enough so much that he went to the cross. He died for us. He sacrificed his life for us. And he also put God's purposes before his own. 
Right? He followed God's plan. He says, whatever I do, it's because the Father is telling me to do it. And when he's in the garden, he says, not my will, but God's will. And he goes to the cross of submitting to the Father. And he loves us, right? The ultimate act of love, even for his enemies, right? Which includes all of us. Anyone who was a sinner was technically Jesus' enemy when he went on the cross and died for us. And so he didn't die for his friends. He didn't die for good people. He died for sinners. Essentially, everyone that Jesus died for was his enemy. And even at the cross, in that moment, there were people insulting him, of doing evil to him. Right? He was wrongly accused. He was killed for something he didn't do, but he was crucified for that as an act of love towards those even who were doing that to him. And because of that, right, we can be like-minded. We can have unity of mission and purpose because he brought us all together. Like we said before, we're all only here because of him. Without Christ, this group of people I don't think gathers anywhere else in the same way. And so Christ gives us unity and purpose, and he shows us how to live this. And he enables us, right? He's the one that gives us a new heart, a new way to respond when we're suffering, that we don't isolate, that we open up to others, and we call for help, and we ask for help. And that as fellow church members or fellow believers, we say, I'm not just going to let them suffer. I heard about it. Yes, it's hard for them, but I want to go sit with them. I want to enter their world and help them to treat them with compassion and love and mercy, just as Christ did to me, right? Not to earn God's favor or anything like that, because his grace and mercy changed everything for us, right? It gave us a new life and a new inheritance so that we could react differently, and we seek him, and we pursue him, and we go after him with all that we have, not holding anything back. You guys pray with me this morning. God, we come before you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for a chance just to seek you, to hear your word, to just in this time of uncertainty, this time of, 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 of upheaval, of not really knowing what's going on, that this is a great time for us to look at how to love one another, how to love our neighbors, how to love those who disagree with us, how to love those who we might see as our enemies. Right, that even as we sometimes are just in the same place with the same group of people for six months straight or whatever it's going to be, that some of those people have become our enemies. Even in this time, just because that's what happens when you spend a lot of time with somebody. Eventually, we hurt each other. But God, I pray that we would seek the way that you called us to respond, that we would bless them, that we would listen to them, that we would enter their world that would be sympathetic and full of compassion and understanding and that we would work through it and not just say i'm sorry i don't want to say that to you anymore i don't want to do that to you anymore but to say will you forgive me and then pursue the right reaction to work on our hearts so that our hearts are different and to open them up to the holy spirit to change us to renew us to make us whole to make us like you so that others can be blessed through us by you. And that as a result of that, others would see who you are, see your grace and mercy, and respond to you.
because there are many that we know around us who are like sheep without a shepherd. They're wandering around, and in crazy times, they feel even more hopeless. But we have hope, and we can demonstrate that hope through blessing and loving others. So God, help us to do that. Give us the strength. Give us the boldness. Um, Give us just the discipline to seek you daily. In your name I pray. Amen.